But this story came up in the news this week that demonstrates how radical the idea is that God exists when it actually comes to impact of our life. There was a story out of Jerusalem this week where there was a, uh, an Orthodox Jewish woman in Jerusalem who decided for one particular Sabbath, maybe two weeks ago or three weeks ago, that she was going to make a vow of silence to the Lord. Great. Good for her. And in that, the difficulty came because she was a pregnant woman and went into labor early on the Sabbath with her vow of silence before the Lord. And I'll skip to the end, which I forgot to do this morning at Church of the Apostles, and tell you that the baby's fine, she's fine. But she would not break her vow of silence. So she didn't communicate to her husband that she was in labor, to any doctor. She didn't call a hospital. She, didn't, she just went back into her room and sat there quietly and delivered the baby quietly. Okay. But what I did, as I tend to do in, in reading news online, is I went down next to the section of comments and began to read, what do people think about this? It's a nice human interest story, perhaps, but people have opinions about this. And the opinions tended to be, what was that woman thinking? What, is this woman crazy? She, how is it that she took this vow to God, fine, whatever, but as soon as the, the baby's... How, she, how could she put the baby at risk? How could she put her family you know, underneath this silly religion thing that she does? And the general tone of it, which is so much the tone that we, we have around us all the time, is that religion and religious convictions and God's existence are all well and good. They're fine as long as they don't actually impact the way we live. Right? Do you see how this just assertion makes it a radical difference between those two sides? You know, one person taking their vow to the Lord so seriously that they actually let it impact their life, and others saying, well, I guess religion is fine in moderation if you have to, I suppose. But the fact that God is, the fact that God exists doesn't let us take it in moderation. Let me tell you why. I'd like to share three things this morning that just change in our lives, that totally change in our worldview and understanding of the universe because God is there. First, God's existence gives us purpose, gives us a reason to live, right? Without God in the picture, what's the best we can say about how we come to be? It's random chance. It's uh, selection naturally somehow. We, as humans, somehow won the, uh, the lottery of evolution and you know, came out on top of everybody else, so good for us. And then you try to, to say to people, why are you, what's, what's the purpose of your life? Why are you living? What, what do you hope to achieve in this life? People will come up with their answers. Uh, maybe they'll say, you know, I really want to uh, be comfortable, be wealthy, die a night, you know, live a full life, die a nice, comfortable death. Um, increase pleasure, decrease pain. That's my goal. Some might be a little more altruistic and say, you know, not just for me, but for others who want to increase pleasure, decrease pain, live a, have everybody live a nice, long, healthy life, die in peace. That's, that's good. The writer of Ecclesiastes has got something to say on this matter. If you've ever read the book, I really encourage you to if you've not. It's in the Old Testament, 12 chapters long. It's probably a favorite of mine. The writer of Ecclesiastes begins to go through these things and tries all these reasons for living. 
presses through his life. Why, why are we alive? Why are we doing this? What is this all about? He says, I began to, to build up wealth, and I amassed wealth, and I had vineyards and, and houses, and I got all this wealth. You know, this is probably the American dream, isn't it? That, you know, we have all the money to do whatever we want, all the luxury we can imagine. And he says there was no joy in it. There was no fulfillment in it. It brought nothing. He says he went out and, and explored the, the world, the wine and the women and, and all the luxuries and the pleasures of life and found that there was no joy in it, no pleasure in it, no satisfaction in it. I relate to this so much, and, and as I talk to people and as I live my own life, I've I realized that this is the, the case for people, that we've got so many options, so many things to do, so many luxuries, but there's something in us that's unsettled, something of discontent in us. Henry David Thoreau talked about uh, living lives of, what was it? It was quiet desperation. Lives of quiet desperation. That there's something about not having a purpose in life that wrecks us as people. As, as we come to different times in our life, it becomes maybe more evident in different seasons. Right? When somebody has graduated from school and isn't sure what the next step is, discontent. Right? When there's uh, perhaps somebody who's just retired for the first time and is trying to figure out how to fill the hours in the day, you find that they are discontented. They don't know what to do with themselves. We've just recently adopted a baby, and, and my wife has stopped working in order to take care. And some parents who used to have jobs out in the world and now are caring for children often begin to ask this question, don't they? My whole life is you know, scrubbing the floor and washing dishes and changing diapers, and what am I even doing here? I work quite often uh, at Church of the Apostles with teenagers who have now hit summer vacation. And if you want to talk about a purposeless existence, teenagers on summer break is a purposeless next existence. Roll out of bed by 3, maybe. Get back into bed by 5 a.m., maybe. But in these times, it highlights for us a discontent that a purposelessness brings in us. And the radical statement comes into this that says, no, it's not just a random collection of things that has brought you to this place, but in fact, God is there. The God of the Bible is there. The God of self-revelation is there who has put you in this place for a time. Because it may have sounded like I just sort of uh, insulted the retired and the parents and the out-of-work and the teenagers, almost everybody. That's not it at all, because the point is that even in those times where we feel like we don't have purpose, because God is there, we have got purpose. Because God has brought us to those places. And for those who have got their days fuller than full, who are doing work and family and everything else, the radical nature of this is that those things are not your purpose. That's not why you're here. That might be part of why you're here. That might be part of what God is doing, but that's not your purpose. And this radical statement comes in that, that God's simply existing. If we can look around the world and just get to a place where we believe that God is actually there, 
it changes, even that little piece changes us so much, changes the way we understand the world because now there's purpose. Now there's something to live for because now we have to live in relation to this being who put us here. Psalm 24 opens it up this way. The earth is the Lord and everything in it, for he has founded it upon the seas. Now I've got to live in relation to this God who put us here for a reason. So the fact that God exists gives us purpose. The fact that God exists also gives us an order. An order of the world. An order of life. You know, people don't do well if there's no order. We as humans need some sort of structure to live in. Something. Right? We just, uh, my wife Jen and I just had our roof redone, right? And so we met with the roofer and he dropped off, you know, two books of samples. And he said, here are the shingles you can pick for your roof. 45 different types of shingles. I was hoping for structure. I was hoping for four. So I said to him, what, you know, tell me, is there a cost difference? You know, is there, give me something. No, they, they all cost the same. Oh my God, I picked 40 sh- we went with gray, but there were like 10 grays. I needed order. I needed something to put it into perspective so I could actually make a distinction. I think about it maybe this way with no order. If you were to uh, just be finishing up a degree program at a school and you had one elective left to take, no requirement, you could pick anything you wanted, how do you choose? What do you start doing? Immediately, you have to put some kind of order onto it, right? So you start asking people, who's the best professor? What class is good or easy? Or whatever order you're going to put on it. You need, we need an order. The fact that God is there puts an order to the world. Right? We can look around in our humanity and say, you know, if we could just split it into two pieces, it seems like out of all the created world, humans are in a class of their own and, and everything else is sort of below. Some people might want to argue that you know, dolphins talk to each other or that chimpanzees use tools. Um, I don't see that bringing it quite up to the level of human because you've got a stick that you're digging with and I drove a car to see you dig with a stick. <laughs> two levels. Different levels. <laughs> right, but the fact that God is there, if we accept that God is there, suddenly it puts it in clearer order, doesn't it? God, then us, then the rest of the world. We find this in Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. God, then us, then the world. And suddenly, because God is there, our relationship to the world changes. Not, we can't be the, uh, you know, we can't be dictators over the world, tyrants over the world anymore, because it's been put in order for us. And at the same time, God being there puts definitions on things, doesn't it? We want to know what's right and wrong. Without a God in the picture, how do we know what's right or wrong? There's no standard, right? All we can do, we can begin to try to do things, right? We could say, well, we could do a golden rule something, couldn't we? That if it, you know, if it helps people, it's good. If it hurts people, it's bad. But that's so vague, and and how do I know who it helps or hurts? and, And why is that even a category? But you put God on top of it. You put God into it. <coughs> Excuse me. Suddenly there's a purpose. Suddenly there's, a, there's an order to things. We can actually say that this action is right or wrong, that this situation is right or wrong, because God has put an order on it. So the fact that God exists gives us purpose. It gives us order. 
and now where people, many people will just kind of come off the track. If God has given us a purpose, we're here for a reason, and God has given us an order, uh, things are right and things are wrong, we can put things in the categories, means that we are also accountable. Purpose, order, and accountability. Because if God has put us here for a reason and has told us what's good, bad, right, wrong, it means that he's also allowed to expect things from us. James chapter 2, verse 19. In that James, the elder, the, one of the early fathers of the church, the brother of Jesus, is writing to his congregations about faith and works. Faith without works is dead. You may have heard the chapter before, heard the passage. He says to them, who, are, who want just to be orthodox in their belief, but not in their actions, he said, you believe that God is one. You do well. Good, that's orthodox. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. Ask you the question this morning, why would demons shudder? Because God is there. Because God exists. Why would demons shudder? Because they understand. God made them for a purpose, which they haven't fulfilled. God put them in an order, which they've walked outside of. And now, they're accountable. The same for us, that God has put us in the world for a purpose. God has given us an order, and we're accountable to God for the way we live, for the way we act. Now, all these things I've talked about so far, we can sort of work at from our logic, right? We can, if we can look around the world, if we get convinced by whatever way, by talking to people, by observing nature around us, that there is a God that's there, and that the God of the Bible is, is the one who's there, we can sort of deduce all that, but it puts us a bit in a difficult position. Because we get to the place where we say, okay, I'm accountable to God. Great. For what? What am I supposed to be doing? What is this purpose that you've given me? What, what order? We can, uh, how, how do I know what to do? Have you ever tried to play a game and not known the rules of the game? It's very frustrating. Have you ever watched a kid take a basketball? And you put him on the team, and you say, great, go you know, play basketball. And they put the basket in the wrong hoop for the other team because they don't know the rules, or they just grab it and run away when they're supposed to dribble. It's very frustrating to not know the rules of the game that you're playing. I think we can get into a place of turmoil in ourselves in this. Because here, God, you've put us here. It's obvious we're here for a reason. What are we supposed to do? And all these things we can talk about so far have been sort of from the bottom up, from us discerning, using our logic, our philosophy, and looking up towards God. But when we come to the scriptures, we see that that's not how God works. Right? He doesn't go to Moses. Or Moses doesn't go to Israel and just say, I've had some great ideas about God. God is fill in the blank. Right. John comes with his baptism, John the Baptist, and says, uh, somebody is coming. Let me tell you about God. But the baptism of John is not a baptism of salvation. Because God is. But what God actually does is bring not a God is, but an I am. Not a third person, but a first person. 
There's Israel just under the weight of Egyptian oppression. And God doesn't send in philosophy or logic or a treatise, but he sends in himself. John doesn't just point out all the things that are going wrong in Israel in the time of Jesus. Instead, God comes himself. This is so what we need in our hearts because we can come in our logic to a place where we believe that God exists, that he's there, that something is going on outside of this universe. But what we need is for God to speak to our hearts, and that's what he does. This has been testimony of so many people who come to faith. I read maybe a year and a half ago a little autobiography of C.S. Lewis called Surprised by Joy. And the whole book, if you know C.S. Lewis at all, he's a very sort of logical, bookish guy. And the whole book he reads, and he says, I was an atheist, and then I read this book, and it convinced me of this. I read that book, and this book, and that book. And I got to the place where I was ready to be a theist. God exists. Hooray. And, and this is about three pages left in the book. So I'm not a Christian yet, but I'm a theist. I've come to the place where I can say that God is. So how did I become a Christian? Well, I don't know. I was a theist, and I got on a bus, and went to the zoo, drove up the hill, and I got off the bus a Christian. Why? Because he went from God is to I am. That God, who had been working on his mind, suddenly worked in his heart and came to know him. This is what we need, friends. This is how God works, not with some just logic only, but in our hearts. And all the logic doesn't stop applying. This is just a radical thought that the fact that God is there, the fact that God reveals himself to us, the fact that God works in our hearts, doesn't change the fact that he gives us purpose and order and accountability, but it gives us the rules to play by. Not just purpose for humanity generally, but purpose for you is what God speaks to our hearts. Not just order for humanity generally, but order for you. And the accountability that he comes with is not, not the harsh accountability that just our logic would insist upon, but an accountability that's seen through the lens of the cross. That Jesus took, took our sins for us on the cross. That the accountability is, is filtered through grace, through compassion, through mercy, through love for us. And yet, nonetheless, it's there. Oh, this last week, this idea, this, this press that the Lord has put on my heart for, for us has been simply the realization, constant realization that God is there. That what we believe about God should actually impact our lives. You know, I was reading through the comment section about, on this story about this Jewish woman with her vow of silence, and a word that kept coming up again and again was fanatic. That this woman was a, a crazy woman. She was a fanatic. And I'll take it to the point that I'd probably think that the vow was ill-conceived. It was probably a bad choice. But I wonder what people mean by the word fanatic. You know, the fact that God is, the fact that he's there, the fact that he's part of our, the, the substance of our world, the part of the functioning of our world, 
It doesn't leave us space to be believers in moderation, to have faith in moderation. Either we're in or we're out. Because he's there, right? And so this woman who people were calling a fanatic, I guess what I wonder about what people mean by that is, is if you mean by fanatic that we believe in such a way that it actually changes the way we live. That if our belief impacts our actions, I think you've got to sign me up for that because God who lives actually impacts my actions, impacts the way that I live. This, just this week, like I said, the Lord was pressing this idea on my mind. I can't tell you the number of times that I came into conversations, came into thought patterns, came into interactions with people. And the fact, simple the fact, the most foundational basic fact of Christian faith, that there is a God prevented me from sin, that influenced the positive, pushed me in the direction of purpose, actually changed the way that I lived my day-to-day life. Because there is a God who is there. And the fact that there is a God who's there doesn't let us live a faith of moderation uh, and okay as long as it doesn't impact because he's there and we're accountable to him. I think, you know, a lot of people who are wrestling with the idea, is God there, is God not there? Or say they're wrestling with that. You know, if somebody's really wrestling with that idea, if that's you this morning, you're really wrestling, is God actually there or not there? Then you're in a good place, a positive place. Probably not where you should land forever, but it's a good place to be if you're actually wrestling with this concept. Is God actually there? Because that's, that's the thing. You come to the place where God is and you find out that he speaks to your heart and becomes I am and, and actually comes in and reveals himself to you as he's revealed himself time and again through the history of the world and in scriptures. That's a good place to be and I encourage you, keep at it. Just keep at that wrestling but a lot of people come in and just say, you know, I'm not sure about this God existence thing. And the reason I'm not sure is because I'm living a certain way that I want to keep living. And I understand that if there's a God out there, then he's going to have some kind of hold on me. That I'm going to owe him some sort of allegiance. That this accountability thing is going to apply to me. And I don't think I want to do that. So I'm just going to pretend hold off decision while I live my life and try to get around to getting things right at the end if I've got time. And this is a very dangerous place to be. Very dangerous. Because we're talking about foundational issues of our lives, aren't we? We are. And if we put off decision on even understanding if there's a God or not, push off even making that decision, then we're intentionally living in a world that doesn't make sense. The basic functionings of the world are out for us if we're there. And that's you this, this afternoon. Just don't stay there. If you just haven't given this much thought, come to it. Give it thought. Wrestle with it. Talk to people. Do some reading. Get there. And for many of us who, who have known God for some time, I want to impress, this is the, this week has for me just so pressed the radical nature of this fact. 
that God's existence impacts everything about my life. It does. Interactions with family, interactions at work, friends, it just, it interacts, it impacts everything. And it impacts in such a way that it's actually got to change the way that I live. Everything about my worldview and, and understanding has constantly got to be done in light of a world in which God has placed us here with a purpose and an order and accountability. Thanks be to God that he shows us how to do that. I just encourage you this week to think about these things, to maybe go to some of these scriptures of, of Exodus, of Psalm 24, of, of Hebrews 11, Revelation 1. Just meditate on them and let the Lord speak. The fact that he exists so foundational and so radical. Let it impact you this week and all that you do. Amen.